1: and relaxed. This is Topop. I'm Charlie Clausen. I'm Will Anderson and we're back remote. We're back uh, in different states over Skype. I'm hot spotting off my phone. It's like the good old days, Charlie. It's the way it
0: should be. I mean, I'm not sure if uh, you can tell Will or if if the listeners can hear it, but it is currently bucketing down in northern New South Wales. Like... uh, It's amazing, isn't it? That like a year ago, we were worried about our houses burning to the ground. Now I'm worried about my house floating away. Yeah. And luckily, all that rain will just grow heaps of stuff for the bushfires to burn next year. Climate change. It's great, guys. I was thinking about like climate change denial today because I'm like, I mean, this is obviously clearly what's happening. There's extreme weather conditions swinging from like intense heat to now like, you know, crazy amounts of rain. And then you still sort of have these guys on, you know, sky after dark or whatever, sort of like complaining about the scientist conspiracy and everyone's panicking over nothing. And it's like, so if these guys get a cancer diagnosis, do they just go to a doctor who
1: tells them they don't have cancer and then that's the opinion they take? Yeah, absolutely. Why would you trust the experts? What you've really got to do. No, but this is the point. These people use computers. They're sitting in a TV studio. They catch planes. All these things are governed by laws of science and principles of science that we sign up to. Every time you step on a plane, you're putting your trust in the fact that a whole bunch of like engineers and scientists and all these people have done their job correctly so that you can fly somewhere. And you don't question that for one fucking second. It's clearly not motivated by the arguments they're putting forward. And it's almost like we fall into the trap when we try to argue with them around things that are already pre-established because they actually don't believe that they don't live their life in a way where they believe that they don't trust scientists they don't live their life in a way where they believe that they don't trust experts they believe them in every other aspect of their life they just don't believe them in this one where they've got a financial interest not to believe them
0: it's like you see uh, like um, mums up around here mums and dads in the area we live in will now where people are a little suspicious of uh, a certain medications and vaccinations but i'll see them putting sunscreen on their kid but they won't vaccinate them i'm like well wait a minute (laughs) wait a minute wait a minute aren't these both kind of like medically uh, medically approved uh, medications that you apply to your child to keep them safe
1: i'll go a step further i think it's outrageous we don't have a vaccine for skin cancer like, you should be able to just take your kid to get one shot and then you never have to put, like, sunscreen on them again.
0: I went and saw a uh, a dermatologist. We were walking past through the mall and there's a like new skin, like, treatment centre has opened up. And mm. I've just noticed that my skin's getting a lot worse. Like, I, I had a good period or a good run of about 20 years there in between teenage mm. derma and, and my 40s. But now it's getting bad again and I don't know what it is. I'm assuming it's, like, sun damage and all that kind of stuff. And so I went in and had a consult and because um, i've got this weird do you remember that movie alien nation it's like a, it's kind of an obscure kind of sci-fi film from the 80s it's about like aliens and it's like a buddy cop movie about a guy and his alien co-partner it's like mandy patinkin plays an alien and i think it's james khan is his.
1: do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> I have It's have no a, idea this is are a, you sure or is this just one of those pretend movies? Was this like an outtake of Tropic Thunder or something? Because this sounds like a totally made-up pretend movie.
0: No, it's a real movie, and this is a long way around uh, to say it's that... literally
1: one of those movies where they already made the poster and they're like, "Can you come in and now make up the movie? We've got the pun, <laughs> alienation. What is it going to be about? Oh my god, I didn't even pick up a, <laughs> I didn't even pick up the pun.
0: Of course, alienation. Holy shit, it's been thirty years and I didn't get it. Right, so look, that was a long way of saying the aliens in this film, their distinct uh, feature is they look humanoid except they're bald and they have these kind of spotty brown spots on the sides of their head. What I'm trying to say is I have those spotty brown <laughs> spots on the mm. side of my head. It's kind of like a, a, a pigment discoloration, but it's just on the one side of my, my forehead. And so I went and spoke to this dermatologist and said, I'm assuming this is sun damage or, or something like that. And she said... Oh, no, no, it's a hormonal change. She's gone, this is very common in men of your age. And I'm like, why am I reaching menopause? Is That's what's happening right now.
1: Yeah. because It's menopause. You get brown spots on your head. That's what happens.
0: Prior to that, uh, I've been getting these like weird lumps on my head for like years. This has been an ongoing battle. I don't know why I get these painful. They're not pimples. They're not anything. And I went and saw a different dermatologist in Sydney who said, oh, yeah, once you cross over a certain age, your body starts producing different kinds of like bacteria and flora. And so now it's just kind of, your, your body is fighting itself. And so now I'm getting flooded with these hormones that are giving me alienation skin. It's like, why, body? Why are you doing this to me? I'm meant to be like, this is, I'm entering my, my enlightenment
1: age, my wisdom age. I don't want to be worried about looking like alienation. Dude. Like, you are already at an age where most people throughout the history of humanity would be dead and fucking buried. <laughs> like, the fact that you are still Stop alive is a modern day fucking miracle. If you've got a few lumps on your head, if your old golf ball head over in the corner, Charlie Titleist Clausen over in the corner with his golf ball head and his weird brown spots, leopard golf ball head, then that is a small price to pay for the fact that you are still active and have 40 probably years of healthy life in front of you you're just gonna have a lot of spots and
0: well they seem to look I don't know if I've been sold snake oil but she said because I was like do I need an abrasion or a peel or something like that and she said no no like you can treat this with these very expensive creams and so they sold me a bunch of very expensive creams which I've been applying uh, three drops of oil at night and then very expensive cream in the morning and it's this tiny little tub of cream that was like you know 70 bucks and I'm like why not sell me a bigger tub? Why are you just like
1: is it that rare that they can only give it out in these tiny little tubs? <laughs> it's, it's found by explorers who've dedicated their life to searching the jungles for this incredible cure for people having spots on their hands.
0: Well, I, I put it on and I was saying to Gem, like, is it meant to sting? <laughs> like, is this the is this the price of beauty? Is it meant to sting? And she was like, yeah, yeah. You know, most kind of like face creams there is a bit of a sting to it. And I'm like, oh my god, what
1: are we doing?
0: What is this pursuit? This, like, grasping well, into youth? Well,
1: There's a lot of people in the area in which you live who, you know, would suggest that you just go the other way, that you don't consult, you know, your sort of medical professional in this sort of situation, that you do just put some sort of natural balm on it, some sort of paste of apple cider vinegar and, you know, some manica honey and some reishi mus- mushrooms, and you just mash that up into a little paste and put that, and maybe, maybe drink just like half a litre of colloidal silver a night. And then uh, rub some of this magic paste on your head, and maybe that'll clear it up. What do? You, what's
0: your vibe on that? Like, I see a lot of like herbalist <laughs> medicine. And... Did
1: you did you, did you not pick it up from that previous sentence? <laughs> well, no, because
0: I think that uh, th- there is a element of okay. Well, obviously, you know, uh, the the treatment of ailments has come from a history of somewhere, and it's obviously started with like natural products and stuff. Obviously. Mm-hmm. As chemistry was developed and stuff, we found other ways of doing it. But there are obviously are some natural anti-inflammatories, like cucumbers are natural anti-inflammatory and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember my mum, who was very my mum was an anti vaxxer but she did not like going to the doctor. She didn't. It was more of a kind of like post World War II philosophy of like, oh, just tough it out. Like she wouldn't even take Panadol if she had a headache. I remember um, after my, her mum, my grandmother, passed away, we, uh, we adopted you know, my grandmother's dog, this little kind of terrier. And this fucking dog was gross. It's just one of those kind of patchy hair, like always had spots and kind of scabs and shit all over it kind of dogs. Yeah, but and it had to be these, fair,
1: like, it was once a young, handsome dog, but that's hormonal. It just got a little bit <laughs> yeah. older, it developed some lumps and the- some spots, and you are looking at that dog the way that young people look at us. Like we are decrepit examples of what they will one day become, and that's why they hate us. It looks like a dog from Alienation. <laughs> but my mum's, uh, uh,
0: rather than take this dog to the vet, which, you know, in her mind was just like a waste of money, she was like, well, I'll treat, I'll treat the, the, the sores on its back by rubbing pawpaw on it because pawpaw is like a natural, you know, whatever, balm
1: or <laughs> whatever it was. Plus, it's a dog and what do dogs have? Paws. In fact, they have more than one paw, <laughs> pawpaw. I feel like that's a signal from nature about what the best treatment in this situation is.
0: Well, do you know what pawpaw does to a dog with back sores, Will? Makes it heaps better, I imagine. heaps. No, makes the, so- makes the sores extra delicious so
1: the dog just <laughs> wants to lick them more. Yeah, yeah. I also put some peanut butter on one of them.
0: <laughs> hey, I found the, uh, the plot to Alienation. Um, this, is the, this is the poster, Will. Los Angeles, 1991. <laughs> so it's an eerie vision of the future. They have come to Earth to live among us. They've learned the language, taken jobs, they tried to fit in. But there's something about them that we don't know alien nation prepare yourself
1: oh my god i'm prepared i will say this so far so far i'm intrigued by the mystery of i'm always intrigued by why aliens would just live amongst us like the way that we live our lives does not seem so amazing that if i were an alien from another planet i'd be like you know what i really dream of being an accountant i'm gonna get like a job i'm gonna like it doesn't unless they're trying to learn from us in i guess a integrated way. I guess that's what it is. It's information gathering, isn't it? But it seems like a very primitive way to do it. Well, it's also the way we've set up our
0: society. Like, there's no freeloading aliens are going to get by. Like, you think we're going to get free accommodation, free healthcare, free anything. They're going to have to bloody earn their keep. So they're going to have to get jobs and assimilate. They're going to have to pick a football team, Will. Pick a footy team. Get a bloody job. And start drinking some boo-boo. I'm actually starting to think that you have been watching Sky After Dark. (laughs) So, Alienation, it's a 1988 American buddy cop, neo-noir science fiction action film. The ensemble cast featured James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin. Uh, its initial popularity inaugurated the beginning of the Alienation media franchise. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Oh, how did I didn't know this? there was an Alienation universe. The film depicts
0: the assimilation of newcomers, uh, an alien race settling in Los Angeles, much to the initial dismay of the local population. The plot integrates the neo-noir and body cop, body cop film genres with science fiction, centering on the relationship between a veteran police investigator, Khan, and an extraterrestrial, Patinkin, the first newcomer, Detective. The duo probe a criminal underworld while attempting to solve a homicide. Do you think,
1: Will, this film holds a mirror up to society? I mean, I feel like it was attempting to, and I bet it doesn't, is my guess. Because <laughs> I think I would have heard of this movie more if it really did. Well, was that fucking orc movie... That came out with Will Smith, like it's an
0: orc oh, cop. yeah, yeah. Well, Joel uh, Edgerton was an orc. Orc cop. Orc cop. Going to be an orc cop. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it sounds like orc Beverly cop. Hills orc. It's alien orc cop. <laughs> uh, the film, blah, blah, blah. It was released in 1988, grossed over $32 million worldwide. It was a moderate success. It was mixed with critical reviews. Uh, the motion picture spawned a short-lived TV series, five telly movies and a set of comic books, as well as a number of novels, all in an attempt to continue the character development surrounding the alien culture. Okay, here's the plot, Will. The year is 1991.
1: Yeah, now it was made in in 1988, so they didn't really go too far into the future. They were like, some shit's going to go down in the next few years, we bet.
0: Well, you know what it is. It's probably like they wanted to set it in the year 2010, but it's like we don't have enough budget to kind of create enough futurism. Let's just do it three years in the future. Okay, what
1: about, yeah, they're in a meeting. They're like, we want to set it in the year 2010. We don't have the budget for that. 2005. You're getting closer, but we don't have the budget. 1991. Deal.
0: When we won't have flying cars, 91. Uh, okay, so it's three years, 91, since an unidentified flying object bearing 300,000 enslaved aliens, the newcomers landed oh. in the Mojave Desert on planet Earth.
1: Who are they enslaved by? Have we enslaved them? No,
0: I don't think so. I think, it's, I think, well, I think that'll be revealed. Okay, so Matthew Sykes, James Carn is a police detective. He loses his partner, Bill Tuggle, in a shootout. The detectives have been trying to stop two newcomer criminals murdering another newcomer named Porter at a grocery in what appeared to be a robbery. The next day, Psych Superior informs his squad that they'll have to work with a newly promoted detective, Sam Francisco. <laughs> that's
1: his name. Oh no, shut up.
0: <laughs> Sam Francisco. If
1: that is how all the na- aliens are named, by the way, if that is like the naming pattern, if that's the joke in the movie, that there's 300,000 of them. He has nailed it getting to be Sam Francisco, like there's a couple of Melbournes and some Sydneys and these sort of people, which are absolutely fine. But there's some dodgy names if that is your name and pattern. Yep, yeah, I'm Wogger <laughs> Wogger. <laughs> yeah, my first name and my last name are the same. Uh, although a bigot, Sykes enlists to work with
0: Francisco to investigate a similar homicide with a newcomer named Warren Hubley. Okay, so this newcomer just called himself Warren Hubley or Warren Hubley. That's not that's not very clever. So clearly it's not a naming pattern, naming yourself after a capital city. <laughs> Unless there's a Warren Hoobly. Have you been to Warren Hoobly? All I got was this stupid T-shirt. Uh, feeling that if he investigates the crime, he'll also find opportunities to investigate his partner's death, uh, which he's officially forbidden to do. While at a crime lab trying to unobtrusively establish a connection between the two cases, Fr- Francisco detects an abnormally, abnormally on the body of the newcomer criminals who was killed in the robbery. Later, Sykes and Francisco are led to a nightclub to investigate a link in the killings with a newcomer named Josh Strader. However, they end up interviewing his girlfriend instead after Strader is murdered by a criminal ring led by newcomer businessman William Harcourt. Now, so far, not much alien action. This is just a straight-ahead like, buddy cop crime thriller, right? Where are the la- ray guns and, and shit like no, that? No,
1: so far, it feels like they've added the aliens in at the last moment and they've used the original script that did not have aliens in it. <laughs> That's 100% what it was. It was initially called, like, Cold
0: Steel and it was just a straight-ahead cop, cop uh, starring vehicle for James Caan and then someone's gone, you know the film Aliens mm. just made, like, $100 million. Can we just throw an alien in front of that? It was initially called Cop Nation... Warner Brothers had a meeting. Some guys gone. Look, just bear with me. Cop nation, aliens, alienation.
1: <laughs> tell you who we won't be alienating audiences from seeing our movie. <laughs> um, okay, so what I, love, what I love about this is it is clearly just, and this is a very eight, like late eighties, early nineties, you know, even into the two thousands trope, which is that thinking that it's a good idea to set one of the scenes of your movie in a nightclub. The worst place to set a scene of any fucking thing ever in a nightclub. So, okay. Now,
0: there's two more aliens. So, there's Terrence Stamp plays a newcomer businessman named William Harcourt. I feel like, is that like an, that's that's an author, is it? William Harcourt? It seems like a familiar name because his henchman is called Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> that's
1: the other name. You either name yourself after a city or a famous author. Okay. So, famous author... Or a city? Is this because they were just playing like on the way to like Earth when they're on their slave ship? They had to play a lot of like road trip games, and they they were just going through name name Australian name world cities name authors.
0: William Harcourt was a uh, was a politician from uh, born in eighteen twenty seven. He's a British lawyer, journalist, and liberal statesman. So these aliens are just whatever the first name they see. It was kind of like that time. Um, I I got this massage, Uh, Gemini actually got a massage and it it was really good and so at the end of it we asked, it was in a Thai place, we asked the lady at the front desk if we could have the names of each of the masseuses so we could ask them again when we went back and they wrote their names down on a card and one's name was B, B B-double-E and the other's name was Stamp, (laughs) S-T-A-M-P and I was like, so when these women arrived in Australia like, as they're going through immigration and they're asked their names, I thought, oh, we need a good Anglo name. And they just see on the desk, like a stamp. It's like, that's my name, Stamp. Ink pad, Stamp
1: Jones. And then a B <laughs> flies in. And <laughs> the other one's like, yeah. B. I'm B, she's Stamp. Well, I'm assuming these aliens on their trip had like a trivial pursuit game because these all sound, all these names sound like answers in trivial pursuit.
0: Yeah, it's a little wanky. That's what I'm going to say. If you're going to call mm. yourself William Harcourt, an obscure British liberal politician, it's like, all right, mate. Okay, so Terence Stamp, William Harcourt, he's the alien businessman. He's in the advanced stages of launching a scheme to exploit the alien race by attempting to mass-produce and sell a drug called Jabroca. The drug was used in the past to pacify the newcomers when they were slaves, but has no effect on humans. The abnormality noticed by Francisco on the body of the newcomer criminal earlier turns out to have been a visual sign of the drug's influences, the newcomers, Hubley, Porter and Strata were involved in the planning phases of the operation, but were later murdered due to Harcourt's desire to exclude them from any future financial rewards. So again, this is just a straight-up crime film. Like, it's, now there's drugs. Like, there's a drug subplot.
1: There's, no- there's absolutely no part of this that has to do with aliens. They have a- added the aliens in at the very last moment and changed nothing else.
0: I mean, like, just to the potential, too, of like, oh, yeah, there's this alien drug... You know, and it's used to pacify these drug these aliens on their home planet. There's such potential there. Well, what does the drug do to a human? Does it change them? Does it morph them? Does it give them super strength? It does
1: absolutely nothing. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Doesn't affect them at all. We're not changing another word of the script. I said we're only changing cop to alien. That is all we're doing. Uh, The the cops attempt to foil his plans and lead in a car chase with Harcourt and
0: Kipling through the streets of downtown Los Angeles. Now, look, um, before I read any further, Will. Do you think that Sam Francisco will get shot and that James Kahn will have to overcome his bias against these newcomer aliens to save his partner? Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I believe that is exactly what is going to happen right now.
0: Following a head-on collision where both parties are injured, Harcourt attempts to escape on foot. Sykes pursues and corners Harcourt in a desolate drawbridge. Harcourt then purposely overdoses on a sample of the stimulant. As Sykes mistakenly believes that Harcourt has died, Harcourt is taken away in an ambulance, but later mutates. Here we go. Thank you. Finally, here's the sci-fi bit. Mutates into a significantly larger and more muscular newcomer intent on causing violence.
1: Oh, shut up, though. This is the minimum basic mutation. (laughs) Like, so, okay, all right, there's one bit with the aliens. I know we've come a long way into this movie and it didn't really need to be aliens, but there's a scene... Where he mutates into something else. Oh, fuck. Okay. We're on board now. This is fantastic. We'll get the special effects team in. What's he going to mutate into? Something slightly bigger than he is right now. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, so, sorry. Also slightly stronger. So
0: you're saying it's kind of like steroids or someone on ice. No, no, no. It's sci-fi steroids and sci-fi ice.
1: (laughs) It's alien steroids and ice.
0: The duo pursue Harcourt catching up with him near a fishing pier. Again, beautiful, beautiful uh, buddy cop trope. There's always a showdown at a pier. Sykes later ends up in a physical confrontation with Harcourt in the open sea. Harcourt dies as his body disintegrates due to the effects of direct contact with salt water, which is hazardous to newcomer physiology. I
1: mean... Probably something they could have, you know, let us know. I feel like that's the bigger issue, to be honest. I feel like, regardless of what else is going on, the fact that these motherfuckers are allergic to seawater is not very good for them.
0: Not allergic. They disintegrate in seawater. They've landed on a planet that is two-thirds seawater. Yeah, they've made some terrible decisions. Although they were brought here as slaves, I believe. Francisco commandeers a police helicopter and rescues Sykes from the water... So he wasn't shot. Uh, With Tuggle and the newcomer case murder solved, uh, the authorities dismantle Harcourt's illicit scheme. Later, Sykes and Francisco, now friends, attend Sykes' daughter's wedding together. Oh, my God. Is it an interspecies relationship? Are they together together? Now that would be groundbreaking. That would rescue the whole film for me. If in the last scene, they attend his daughter's wedding as a couple. You know what I do
1: love about this film is... I I thought we were kind of joking at the start about the fact that they'd just taken another film and put an alien in it. But 100% on hearing you explain this, that this movie could exist without an alien. 100%. Like, you wouldn't have to change the script barely at all, right? If it was... with You could put, like... It could be a monkey movie. It could be a Planet of the Apes. It could be Ape Nation. And that character could be some super-evolved ape, and it would still be the same story. It could be Avatar Nation, and that character could be some sort of blue fish or whatever the fuck they are in Avatar, and the story would be exactly the same. Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that, because uh, under the uh, uh, origins and themes sections of this Wikipedia entry, um, they say, though mostly an action movie, Alienation was somewhat of a throwback to other similar genre films, such as Planet of the Apes and Silent Running. The alien newcomers are relegated to second class status like other minorities. They live in their own neighborhoods, frequent their own nightclubs and develop their own underground culture. Um, Gail Ann Hurd, who's uh, frequently James Cameron's producer, has said this. We wanted the aliens to be more like a different ethnic race than like lizard people. We didn't want our audiences thinking, gee, look how different these aliens are. Rather, after about five minutes, we wanted the audience to accept them as different from us, but not so different that no one is buying the storyline. We wanted the aliens to be characters, not creatures. Then just make them fucking humans. Like, what's the point? But
1: also have that policy with some of your ethnic casting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Wow, this is like... This is a long Wikipedia. For a film that I only just like obscurely remembered before, they have a lot of entries there. There's obviously a whole subculture of alienation fans out there. I think it's one of those things too where if you're a producer who comes up with something that is franchisable or universe-buildable, you're just like, man, I'm gonna I'm just going to slam the shit out of it. It's like Highlander. Remember, it's like the Highlander TV series and the Highlander comic books and the Highlander novelizations. It's like if you can come up with a mythology... You can then milk it in all these different. Well, forms. let's come
1: up with a the mythology then. What are the key characteristics of a good mythology? Um,
0: powers, like there's got to be sort of like. A, I mean, if we're talking fantasy yeah, mythology, Let's right? let's
1: invent a fantasy mythology character.
0: Well, why don't we start? Why don't why don't we start with the obvious? Why don't we start with the biggest horse in all okay. of Norway? Why don't we build mythology around the biggest horse in all of Norway? Uh, defies death. <laughs> That's true. <laughs>
1: yeah. defies death is a good one uh, for your
0: mythology. I will say that. Um, um, has a overweight brother that we can imbue with some kind of jealousy, some kind of Loki-style um, rivalry with his with his overweight. Oh yeah,
1: brother. I like that. I, I was actually I, w- I thought it was going to be like light like comic relief, like a Tommy Boy-style relationship. But you're right. Uh. <laughs> I guess I guess like more a sort of combative. You know, he's the. Maybe he's the the yeah the big the fattest horse in all of Norway has always been jealous of the biggest horse and maybe it's like sort of that opulent uh, jab of the heart you know King Henry style you know like corpulence.
0: Well, if it was a kind of Shakespearean thing, there would be some kind of um, there is a throne or a, a crown or something at stake. You know, the biggest horse in all of Norway wants to be well is known as the biggest horse, whereas the fattest horse in all of Norway is like. I want to be the most famous horse in all of Norway. That's that's the mythology around. <laughs> it's like two rivals. One's the biggest, one's the fattest. I mean, can the biggest can the fattest horse in all of Norway technically also be the biggest? Just it could be the widest horse yeah. in all well, of Norway. Well, maybe
1: that's why the fattest horse in all of Norway is like so mad because he's legitimately legitimately been body shamed his entire life. All he's wanted to do is be as big as his big brother, who he actually admires, but he's always been in the shadow of. And for a long time was literally in the shadow of. That'll be a good poster. And so you see him literally in the shadow of the biggest horse in all of Norway. And he's had to live his life in this shadow. And as he's got older, he's realized the only way he can gain his own power is to become big himself. He can't grow. So instead he's like, you know, grown, you know, outwards by consuming so much. What if you're like... You know
0: how, like, Brad Pitt has that brother, Doug Pitt? And Patrick Swayze had that brother who was also an actor, Don Mm. Swayze. Like, what if the fattest horse in all of Norway was like that? Like, they both started off with the same dreams, but one became, you know, an absolute superstar. They, they
1: They both went to big horse school together. They were both in the big horse program. They were identified early on as somebody who had a um, a potential to be a a big horse. And they were both... (laughs) In fact, when they were younger, everyone always thought the fattest horse was going to be the biggest horse. And then the biggest horse had a growth spurt of some kind and became the biggest horse. Or maybe... Oh, no, here's what you do. Mm. There was some contest. They
0: were... um, What do you you call horses? Dressage horses or something, right? So they're competing Mm. in some junior horse event. (laughs) And there was an accident. Like, they're both jumping a barrier or something like that. And the little brother of the biggest horse in all of Norway, you know, he, his hoof got caught and he fell over, but he's always blamed. He reckons the biggest horse in all of Norway Aww. closed the gap on him. He boxed him in, Will, like pale-faced Adios. <laughs> like pale-faced Adios. <laughs> he boxed him in on the corner like pale-faced Adios. The biggest horse doesn't see it that way. He's like, mate, look, we were both competing. Our father Roses, you know, we'd get us up first thing every morning and make us run laps. So, look, we both had the same upbringing. I can't help it if, you know, I I was I was stronger and faster than you. I'm sorry. I love you, my little
1: brother, but you can't hold this grudge forever. What I'm hearing right now, Charlie, is a <laughs> cool and get a gold style scenario. That's, that's what this feels like. I've never it feels seen like, cool and get a gold. Oh, have you not? Because you've essentially just explained no, the entire not. plot of it. So, except <laughs> it's about surf life saving. And so yeah. the the younger brother is the one who eventually like wants to beat his older brother who's like, you know, always been the star of the family and he's always felt hard done by and he eventually wins the cool and get a gold. Spoilers for the movie cool and get a gold. But Uh, it's essentially the scenario you're describing. So you know what the problem with this is? I am now no longer on the side of the biggest horse in all of Norway. I am totally rooting for the fattest horse in all of Norway to be able to turn his life around and prove to his dad that he's worthy.
0: Well, I guess it just depends on what genre we want to take this mythology in. Because if it's an action movie, then it has to be... I mean, he's got to be a villain. There can be some kind of redemption, some Loki-style redemption at mm. some point. And you'll get his own spin-off series, but in order for there to be conflict, he's got to be the antagonist. Or are you saying that it's an underdog story? It's like you know, um, I keep you say cool and got a gold, but all I can think of is the Late Show parody, the Bermagui Bronze, yeah. <laughs> which I've never seen cool and got a gold, but i've seen their sketch Bermagui bronze and i feel like rob Sitch, yeah, you know yelling and getting <laughs> and getting dunked in buckets of water it's kind of uh, i feel like i know what it is but you can you can do that you can sort of do it it's either a sports biopic which is the little guy overcoming the odds it's rudy it's rocky it's any of those kind of films it's airbud <laughs> <laughs> or it's an action movie where it's all a shakespearean kind of thing where it's betrayal of brothers and destiny and you know uh, seizing the crown and all that kind of stuff
1: there there is a third option uh which we're overlooking which is buddy cop bad boy stuff.
0: <laughs> like, so,
1: so do you know what I mean like i feel like the biggest horse in all of norway is will smith And, like, the the fattest horse in all of Norway is Martin Lawrence. And you could bring that sort of energy to the table.
0: Well, what about... Did you ever see that film Warrior with Tom Hardy and and Joel Edgerton? Oh, yes. Where they're two UFC fighters... ...who both had a shitty dad, alcoholic father, and one of them you know, was damaged and went off to fight in wars. The other one's like a school teacher and then they fight their way up. Maybe that's what it is.
1: We've got to find also, out. Also, I loved the movie Warrior. I thought it was so cool. And Tom Hardy's amazing in it. Joel Edgerton's great in it. Tom Hardy, I saw like footage of him preparing, doing like heads, like he would do headstands, just using his head, like do these weird, anyway, well, how fucking... else are you
0: gonna How else are you going to do a headstand with? Well, but just... I mean, primarily, like
1: you, you just use your head. he it, it do dips. Like head dips or like... What he'd stand Explain. on it. He'd stand on his head and then take his hands away and then do kind of dips. Like what? just use... On his neck? What's that?
0: Just using his So, neck. yeah.
1: So, imagine like me shrugging, but imagine I'm just standing yeah. on my head and then I'm putting the whole weight of my body up and down, like just like balancing on my head. Is someone holding his legs? No, Is, he's, he's just balancing. doing it. He's balancing on his head and then going up and down using his neck muscles. It's fucking insane. It's. Wow. No? Yeah, anyway. So, what I've realized now that you've said it out loud is that the reason I like the movie Warrior is that it had the exact same plot as the movie The Cool and Gather Gold. <laughs> <laughs> or the Bembigui Bronze.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, all right, so I, I I can see that. So let's say that, because the biggest horse yep. in all of Norway, and I'm just going off the amazing artwork that James has done, and if you haven't checked it out, just please go to our Redbubble page and buy yourself a bloody poster or a T-shirt. I've already ordered three, because they're just, they're, it, it's amazing. Like, Elias, you've done such a great job at inspiring, not just the conversation, but uh, James vossdyke's artwork. But he's clearly like the Adonis. He is uh, the fettered-upon, um, you know... A, 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 favorite son. And then you have the fattest horse in all of Norway. Now, do you think it was just genetics? Like he was just the dug pit to this guy's Brad Pitt? Or was there some kind of, I think it's more compelling if there's some kind of accident that, the, the, like in Warrior, doesn't the, the little brother, Tom Hardy, he blames Joel for not protecting him from their abusive father or something like that. There's some, yeah. there's some kind of lingering
1: kind of conflict, right? Okay, so yeah, okay, so there's been some incident when they're young. I like where you went with that. They're both, you know, best friends. They're both the biggest horses in all of Norway. You know, everything's going great for both of them. There's some sort of accident, and then the biggest horse in all all of Norway, for no reason of his own. Sorry, the second biggest, the fattest horse now in all of Norway, but at the time, gets involved, like has a drug addiction, like puts on weight because they can't exercise so much. Like you know, it's it's like. It's all just like, there's a depression story. It's kind of gets really dark, I think. And you've got to have some kind of moment where, like if they were
0: both elite horses, you mm. know, at the, in, in the prologue, then you've got to have like rock bottom. So when we catch up to modern times and we see the fattest horse, he's exploiting himself. Like it's yeah. something humiliating where he's appearing in a circus or he's doing yeah. like pony rides at a kid's fair or something. And yeah. kids are sticking yeah. ice creams in his face and yanking on his hair. It's just like,
1: it's humiliating. <laughs> He'll give you a hoof job for a bag of sugar.
0: Who would ask for a hoof job? Very brave. I mean, do you take the shoes off first? Or do you, I mean, you know what? I think keep the shoes on. I think a hoof job without the shoes might be a bit too sharp. Uh, yeah. All right. So, I mean, I went something a, a bit a bit more PG. You've gone straight into Boogie Nights territory. Where he's in an abandoned car park with some creepy older guys. <laughs> Things got bad. Okay. You want to whip me? You want to whip me? But then the other thing too is he's got to see posters of the biggest horse of Norway yeah. everywhere because this the everywhere. biggest horse of Norway has endorsement deals. Mm. You know, his uh, endorsement
1: deals. They call them in the business.
0: Endorsement in, in, in deals he's um uh, he's done a duet with taylor swift <laughs> yeah shake it off um and so he's haunted by that now there has to be an opportunity because in all these films there's some kind of contest in which he so in warrior it's uh you know it's the the ufc tournament in cobra kai it's you know the chance to sort of like you know contest in the all valley karate again so it's got to be something like that so what would it be? Would it be a horse race? Because I don't know the biggest horse in Norway is. I'd say he's part like he's beyond racing and doing dressage and stuff. Now he's just like he's a he's like an established kind of elder statesman of the horse scene. So what would it be?
1: Yeah, I think like the biggest horse in all of Norway is more like you know Rod Laver coming out at, at, at Rod Laver Arena to present an award at okay. the tennis. It's not like Rod's. You know, still playing. Yeah. Like, the stadium's named after you, Rod. You don't have to play against Roger Federer. You're just here to hand him a plate. You know what I mean? Okay, perfect. So, in Norway, they're having their, you know, equestrian trials or whatever
0: it is. And the biggest horse in Norway is there basically for publicity. And, you know, he's the benefactor. And, you know, everyone claps when he comes out. You know, he waves his hoofs around. Um, Unbeknownst to the biggest horse in all of Norway, his little brother has just had enough and has decided to enter this kind of, like, this equestrian trials or this dressage or whatever it is. And, you know, we see, like, we have the montage of him sort of waking up first thing in the morning and, you know, he coughs up a lung because he's smoked a, smoked a pack of cigarettes the night before, but he <laughs> gets out on the treadmill and starts, like, jogging, jogging or he goes for a run around the paddocks or whatever. And he enters, and he's clearly overweight when he enters the dressage thing. And people are laughing because, like, you know, his saddle doesn't fit right and his, like, bridle's falling off and stuff. But... He's got the skills. Like he never, you'd never lose that, that that talent he had as a kid. And so, he advances through the first, you know, the first two trials of this equestrian competition. Then I reckon you have the first sort of conference. They haven't they haven't been in the same scene yet. So the 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 fattest horse is in the locker room after he's qualified, and the biggest horse comes in and is like, little brother, it's it's been a while, and he's like, listen, listen um, you know, what are you doing? Like, uh, if you're out to prove something, then you know you're barking up the wrong tree you've got nothing to prove like you know you're my brother and i love you but you know you're going up against some of the best horses in all of scandinavia here and i'm just i'm just worried for you like look at you you're out of shape and the fattest horse is like fuck you man (laughs) fuck (laughs) you
1: you were never there for me well because here's the thing i think that the fattest horse is dealing with a lot of stuff you know like He blames his brother, but it's not really his brother's fault. He just blames his brother because his brother's living the life that he always wanted himself. His brother has nothing but love for for him, but he just sees, he's just like, you know, everything about his brother makes him feel bad about himself.
0: Yeah, it makes him a more compelling antagonist if the biggest horse in Norway is actually not a bad guy. Like, he genuinely wants the best for him, but just by his pure existence, he stands in the way of what the fattest horse wants. It's, and it's almost like the biggest horse has to resist getting into a conflict with his brother, but they're on this mm. inevitable collision course because something has to happen where uh, he gets to a point where the biggest horse in all of Norway has to put the saddle back on. He's got to get back out there and it's going to be huge because now everyone's like, oh my God, have you heard that the fattest and the biggest, they're getting back <laughs> in, the, in the arena for the first time in years. So what would it be, though? Like, what would, what would compel the biggest horse in Norway? It's got to be, there's got to be another character in here. Like, maybe... ah, oh, here we go. The biggest horse in Norway has a son who's competing in these competitions. And his uncle, the fattest horse in Norway, completely humiliates him. Like, destroys him in front of all these people. Which gives the biggest horse in Norway impetus to enter, to avenge his son, or to kind of rescue his son, or win back... Kind of the pride of his family.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that. Because that, that okay. I was like, how does the biggest horse get back in this game? Like, what what is the incentive for the biggest horse to fight his brother at some stage? But he has to fight his brother, doesn't he? Because this is not really a movie unless they fight.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, or, or, or you could go a different way, which is that the biggest horse, the fattest horse in Norway, he... Uh, he sort of enters a competition but he's misguided or if he's had like drug issues or behavioral issues that's always the kind of demon on his shoulder so even though he's advancing through these equestrian trials and stuff heading towards the olympics or whatever the 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 finish line is that there's always there's always that threat that he could destroy himself so maybe if you want to make it a more kind of um uh, uh, selfless motivation the biggest horse wants to enter the competition to keep an eye on his little brother because he oh, knows what about, he knows okay, what happens in these horse villages you know there's a, there's there's a, a lot party of tra- town there's, Will.
1: you know what it's there's tranquilizer all over the place cave <laughs> hey, like you wouldn't believe K like you wouldn't believe and it's dealt out by medical professionals it's part of the game uh, no here's what I would I'd say can we introduce just so that we can be on the side because what I really want as a consumer is I want to be able to root for both the biggest and the fattest horse in all of Norway. What my end result here that I want is a family reunited. I don't want to see them have to go up against each other, right? Okay. So can we introduce the straw man villain character so that there's like some real play dirty horse that wants to take down and is going through and actually like, you know, Crippling other horses, like, you know, like riding really dirty, like, yeah, you know, all these dangerous tricks and whatever. And the biggest horse in all of Norway sees that, uh, like, his brother, the fattest horse, yep. is on a collision course with this character and needs to step in, going, he won't be able to beat him, but I can beat him in, like, the semi finals. So I'll go head to head. Then that villain character beats the biggest horse in all of Norway. And it comes down to the fattest horse in all of Norway to. To win, to win for the or first time about, on behalf of the family.
0: So, you, if you go back to the sort of the first act, and you have got um, the fattest horse given hoof jobs, mm-hmm. and he is approached by the villain to say, "Hey, look, your life has fallen to shit, but I'm going to get you back on the straight and narrow. I'm going to like train you up. There's an equestrian event coming up. I will get you back on your feet." So he presents yeah. as if he's going to help the fattest horse in the way out, but he has some sinister motivation, which. The fattest horse doesn't see. The biggest horse sees, and he tries to tell his brother, this guy does not have your best interests and heart. But the fattest horse, just all he hears is a jealous brother. So it is incumbent on the biggest horse. This is the dumbest podcast we have ever done, by the way. But it's incumbent on him to enter the competition in order to protect his brother. But then I think the rest of the plot can follow what you said. Then he gets defeated by the villain, and then the fattest horse has to take on the villain. I mean, it's actually very similar to Warrior. Yeah. I think essentially if you replace yeah. Joel Edgerton and <laughs> with a fat horse and a big horse, <laughs> that's essentially what happens, right? Because the dad lets them both down and then they're forced to fight each other and, you know. Uh, yeah, all
1: I would say is we've done more of a good job incorporating horses into our story than the makers of Alienation did incorporating <laughs> aliens into theirs.
0: I don't know that we did much on mythology there, really. I mean, we basically just took a, a sports biopic and, <laughs> uh, and swapped out the human characters. Uh, That's a good point. I think, yeah, I don't know. What do you need, need for mythology? I think you need a coda, like a kind of customs, things like that, like if you, especially if you are creating a fantasy world, aliens mm-hmm. or a, a fantasy world, you need to have like a, sister, a hierarchical system, how things work. Um, what else? Just trying to think of like, so you got Lord of the Rings, Highlander, The Simpsons. Do they have a, do they have a mythology? The Seinfeld the mythology. They kind of do, because they're all like archetypal characters, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. But it, there's something in the fact that they're not really on a journey because they're repeating, in some ways, the same day over and over, even though there's new stories that I think almost disqualifies them from. Because like mythology to me always implies that there's some sort of like quest or journey or like you know that mythology applies to some lessons that have been written down or some rules that have been written down that like have implications in you know modern times or in future times right doesn't that feel like yeah that's right like the mythology teaches us
0: lessons i mean that's Mm -hmm. what mythological journeys are about it's kind of reflecting the human experience and overcoming obstacles and triumphing over adversity or being tempted by evil all that kind of stuff
1: not going to get that with a fat horse and a big horse <laughs> doesn't really work. Nah, well i mean you could I, I felt like there was a lot in it i've enjoyed watching this movie we
0: made up <laughs> i think there's mythology to tofop i think there's a mythology to the tofop universe maybe not specifically to the to the biggest horse but the horse is an element of it, I
1: think. Yes. Well, so it certainly is now, th- these days. I mean, and here's the thing. Valet, by the way, fattest horse in all of Norway, because we barely knew you. And the mm. more that I've got to know you, you know, post your unexpected death, you were gone before I knew who you were. But I, I, I've i learned to love you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to know how many horses they have on uh, Elias' farm. That's a good point. Um,
1: and, where the, and where they rank in Norway's... <laughs> system. Large horse system. We have, we have the first, second, eighth and fourteenth biggest horses in Norway. Uh,
0: well, I want to get to some mail. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we have such a backlog uh, with our Patreon. Um, I thought it was uh, incumbent, I'm going to use that word for a second time this podcast, on us to get to some of our messages. Um, these date back well into the middle of last year. Uh, which is embarrassing for us. But the good news is, if you uh, are a Patreon member and you write us a message, (laughs) we eventually get to it at some point, then you can win yourself a fridge magnet. Uh, Last week, we had a a listener win a fridge magnet, and uh, I'm going to send more out. So this is a little letter from Scott, who says, You run an inconvenience store. What do you sell?
1: Mm. You run an inconvenience store. What do you sell? um things that you would never need in an emergency is what you sell in an inconvenience store right
0: i reckon you sell like phone charges that don't have the right width oh. for your iphone it's always like the generation before because i have a basket filled with charges that just don't fit anything because it's like they're, too, they're way too old <laughs>
1: Uh, We sell the designs for where to put light sockets that are nowhere near where you would plug anything in in an apartment. That's my (laughs) business.
0: (laughs) This is from Edward, Will. He writes in and he says, listening to the Purge episode of Tofop, it got me thinking about a book I recently read. It's called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. We get ourselves a reader, reads Mm -hmm. books, has opinions on
1: them. Well, what's the opinion? Or was have that you... the whole message? No. That would be a big, <laughs> big bold brag for a message. I recently read a book. So there. Have you ever, He asks if we've
0: read it. I have not. Have you read Humankind? By I Rookman? own
1: it and haven't read it, which is okay. even worse.
0: Essentially, it argues the idea that if left to their own devices or without authority, humans will be violent, hateful, selfish, etc., based on a lot of very bogus science, e.g. the prison experiment. What are your thoughts? Are humans wired to be good or bad?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: um... Good question. I don't know. Uh, I think I think on a primary level, well, I guess it depends on what you qualify as good or bad. Like, I think survival, if we sort of break it down to a base level um, and it's a question of survival, then you'll probably do things that in a civilised society would be considered evil. But uh, depending on your circumstances, it's just uh, a way to get by. I, I don't know. I think inherently... We are communal creatures and we want to take care of our community. But when we bump into other communities that look different to us, i.e. aliens well, <laughs>
1: we can be violent
0: and horrible to them.
1: I think you summed it up well. What do you think? Not? <laughs> no, well Yeah, who knows? Because we don't have that context. I absolutely agree with you because if you don't know what you're judging your life by, good or bad is just a you know moral, yeah, rel- moral relativity judgment, basically, where you're just going... What, what is good or bad? Who defines mm-hmm. what is good or bad? If you're in a survival situation and your only option is to survive, like you said, you'll do a whole bunch of things that you might not in another circumstance. It's, an, it's a good conversation to sum up in 30 seconds at the end of a podcast is what <laughs> I would suggest. This is from Amber.
0: Hey Will and Charlie, I'm not a doctor, but I work for Corrective Services. For this reason, dear Lord, please don't say my full name, Charlie. Okay. Anywho, I've been a fan of TOFOP since the days of walking the room. I did drop off for a while after your departure, Charlie, but I'm back now. Smiley face emoji. I'm currently listening each week to the new episodes while I also work backwards listening to old episodes. It gets confusing at times. It's a real mind fuck to listen to you guys contemplate the future with no inkling of the pandemic to come. Or to even read a letter from the past, I imagine. (laughs) Equally confusing. Um, I thought you might like to talk about a couple of Aussie movies. Forgive me if you have talked about these at some point and I've forgotten. But have you seen Cargo? It's a zombie movie. But not what comes to mind when you think of Australian zombie movies. It stars Martin Freeman, but all the other actors are Aussie as far as I know. The movie was based on a Tropfest short. I really love this movie and cry my heart out each time I watch it. Um, I haven't seen the feature, but I have seen the short, which is excellent. Have you seen Cargo,
1: Will? I've seen neither the feature or the short. I've never even heard of it, but it sounds interesting. So it's about a dude, uh, zombie apocalypse. Um, A guy
0: uh, is caring for his infant child, but he's been bitten by a zombie. So he has... Only like 24 hours to get the child to safety before he uh, he turns into a zombie, and so it's about you know the decisions he makes to save the child's life. The short is is excellent. I imagine the the feature would be good. Martin Freeman was an odd choice. There's certain actors when they switch to drama or like you know a more serious genre that I'm like, but that's Tim from The Office. You know what I mean? It's hard to.
1: <laughs> He's a really excellent actor, Martin Freeman. Like so, he can play the characters, but yes. There's still a part of it going, when's he going to be funny? When's he going to look at the camera? When's he going to look at the camera and raise his eyebrows? Seeing
0: Lantana at the movies and uh, Mm. Glenn Robbins has a small role in that. And as soon as he came on screen, the whole audience cracked up. Oh, here comes a wittier (laughs) side. No, no, just playing a straight dramatic role. (laughs) Come on. You'll get my... up in a minute. You'll be wearing a j-string, and you'll power walk away. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> um, how about these final hours? I'm prone to feelings of ex- existential nihilism from time to time, and this movie really got my mind working overdrive. It is about the imminent end of the world and what people would do if they only had 12 hours left. This is probably not a great movie recommendation given the current state of the world. I'm sorry. What do you? What would you guys do if all life was going to end in 12 hours? It fascinates me how much of life doesn't matter. Any more? If there's only twelve hours left, sorry if you've, I've provided you no useful content. It was nice to contact you anyway. Here's my address. If you think I am worthy, certainly are worthy. We're going to send you some fridge magnets. Um, I have seen these final hours. I thought it was a really interesting premise that wasn't explored fully enough. There's a great. Have you seen it? Will no? Okay. So it's about uh, 12 hours ago. There's a meteorite heading towards Earth, and so everything is descending into chaos. And a dude is uh, trying to get back to his girlfriend. I think he's got his daughter with him or something. I don't know, maybe I've confused that. Um, but it's it's the, the one bit that I'm like, oh, that's exactly what would be going on. Is he stops off at a friend's place who's having this huge party because their decision, you know, in the last 12 hours is just a fucking nothing matters. We're just gonna get all the drugs. Everything, it's basically a 12-hour purge. Anything goes for the next 12 hours because we're all going to die anyway. And I'm like, that should have been the entire movie. It all should have been set at this party because it gets more and more crazy. Like People start murdering each other and shit just gets outrageous. And it's like, that's the interesting part. In fact, it kind of relates to our earlier letter. Like, If left to their own devices, what do human beings do? If there's only 12 hours
1: left in existence, what do humans do? I feel like I'd have a sleep. I feel like I wouldn't want to face the imminent destruction of all of humanity like after being out for 12 hours. I feel like that would make the impending doom of it all. Maybe I'd even like a few hours beforehand, I'd just go to bed and just like hopefully just like be asleep when it happened.
0: It's funny. uh, My instincts are kind of the same. (laughs) I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I think I just like to chill at home with Jem and Iona, maybe watch a movie or something. I'll just kind of live my. Everyday life. I was thinking how annoying it would be because my family have this WhatsApp chat that I started. It's my own fault. Mm. And they're adorable. My brothers and sisters, like especially the older ones, they love the WhatsApp chat. Every day my phone is like fucking five messages because they're all just sharing just like little observations about life and memories of like, you know, the family home and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really, really sweet. But God damn it, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. (laughs) Like I'm going to have to turn notifications off. So I imagine if there's only 12 hours to go, my family's WhatsApp chat would be going off. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, no. I'm
1: going to have to answer some of these messages, aren't I? Well, that's also – because I think, oh, well, I would obviously like to spend it with my loved ones and I probably – I can't imagine really wanting to do anything too spectacular. I really do imagine I just want to spend those moments with the people that I love the most. But what if in those moments you find out you're not the person that they want to spend those moments with when it really comes down to it <laughs> and there's 12 hours to go? You're like, I'd just like to stay home with you, Jem and I own her. And Jim's like, you make your own decisions, dude, but we're out of here. <laughs> We're going to a murder party. Or I found out
0: my family have like a different WhatsApp chat that I'm not a part of. <laughs> like they've got the right. non Charlie WhatsApp chat. I'm like, You've hey guys, just say I love you. Your just messaging say, just wants to nothing. <laughs> nothing? Is anyone there? Hello. Uh would we do you reckon twelve hours is enough time for us to squeeze out one last toe flop? Do you reckon we'd try and do one for just to, to go out on a high? <laughs> <laughs>
1: We were like the final podcast before the apocalypse. I mean that would be
0: that's 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 a great selling point. We were the last podcast ever created.
1: The modern day version of fiddling while Rome burns.
0: Would you would you wanna do a podcast with twelve hours to go or you got too much other I mean, after your nap, I mean.
1: I mean, I, I, you know what I'd happily, if anyone was interested, I can't imagine there would be anyone in the world who was interested in spending their final 12 hours, like with me entertaining them. But if people, if there was anyone who was like, this is how I want it to end, I'd happily do a gig, you know, maybe the last hour you just like go, let's just do a gig. Let's go out on stage. We could do a live podcast. Do you think, (laughs) do you think,
0: how do you think an audience changes though? Like if you're doing your comedy yeah. And everyone there knows that there is mm. the apocalypse is impending. Do you think it makes people yeah. more prone to
1: laughter or, or more uptight? I mean, it's an unusual scenario. It's not one that I've encountered previously, so I'm not really sure. But I assume there'll probably be a little more fucking and murdering in the audience than there ordinarily would be to gig. Um Okay, let's just finish
0: on a little article. This is Kathy who sent this in. Hi, Charlie and Will. Have you been looking for an opportunity to own a car from Dolph Lundgren's collection? Me neither, but here's an article about it anyway. Uh, So this is an article. Ivan Drago's Corvette is for sale. Dolph Lundgren's C3 Corvette is up for grabs. I do love a good eBay find. This is from uh, Jesse Billington in Drive Tribe. I do love a good eBay find, and this is possibly my best in recent times. You may know him best as John Thundergun, He-Man, or even Ivan Drago. John Thundergun, what a film was! Was Dolph playing John Thundergun? <laughs> like that's. I don't really. If you if you had to choose between San Francisco and John Thundergun as a name, what do you what are you picking? San Francisco, one hundred percent. All right, I'm John Thundergun. Yeah, I bet you are. (laughs) He's selling his C3 Corvette. It's up for sale. Yes, this C3 Corvette was, until recently, Dolph Lundgren's car collection. And now, for the not exactly extortionate price of £27,000, you could buy it. It's not just any Corvette either. It's a 1978 Indy 500 pace car. Now, when you were living in the same building as uh, Dolph Lundgren, um, I noticed that he drove quite quite a flash Ferrari. He had a yeah. very, very
1: fancy-looking Ferrari. Very fancy. Like, one of those ones where you went down and you went, I think this is too fancy for this shared garage that I park my <laughs> car
0: in. Yeah, 100%. I did think that, too, because while I was staying there, that's when he got cast in Aquaman, and all of a sudden, I didn't see him around that much, and I'm like, no. I wonder if he's like, I'm fucking out of this dump. I and it wasn't out a dump, by the way. it's a really... Reeling- was-
1: i was nice staying in building. the same apartment block as an Australian stand-up comedian. <laughs> I am Dolph Lundgren. I am Johnny Thundergun. <laughs> and some fucking dude in the gym keeps coming up and staring at me <laughs> while I'm
0: working out. It's really weird. Um, all right, that'll do for this week's yes. episode of TOEFOP. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, if you want to check out more podcasts what we do, you can go go to toefop.com. Uh, we do a bunch of other shows. Will does one called Willosophy. Who's on this week, Will?
1: Uh, one of the biggest comedians in the entire world, a fellow by the name of Russell Howard, who people might know from the UK place stadiums over there, but he's a huge act even here in Australia and uh, in a whole bunch of other places in the world. So Russell Howard is on the show doing a few little bonus episodes, going through some mail that came in around the 200th episode, which is really cool as well so I'll just be reading out some uh, listener comments and stuff like that if you want to check that out and uh, on Fofop this week Lindsay Webb is back it's been a year since Lindsay's been on the podcast but ran into him in Adelaide while I was doing shows and we've done a Fofop together so check that out as well and speaking of shows uh, just while we're here uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival for two weeks I'm doing Will Legal. just did a week of it in Adelaide which was very cool fun and so please come out and see one of my Will Eagle shows in Melbourne now Will you mentioned Fofop so we might as well
0: let people know about our announcement. Oh, uh, we can uh, we Fofop, can let people know. We can let people know now because I've actually booked some people to come up here. But uh, okay, we've decided that we're going to share Fofop as a podcast. So we'll just alternate. Uh, will will have a guest on one week, and then I'll have a guest on the other week. It won't always be you know taking it in turns like that, but essentially we we'll want to do a Fofop each week. So some days it'll be Will and a guest, and some days it'll be me and a guest. So. Um, uh, I can say I've got Adam Zwa lined up to be my very first guest, and I've reached out to a bunch of other really great people. So over the next few weeks, um, there'll be some guests coming up. So Fofop should be shared between Will and I.
1: Yeah, it's cool. It's a, that's a, I'm. I, I, firstly, it's a great relief because it was killing me <laughs> trying to get all those podcasts out. But secondly, I know that a lot of people had been contacting you, Charlie, to see if you would do that's awesome again and. I know that you, there was a bit of you that was like, no, that's from a certain time and a certain place. And I kind of like, you know, it being what it is, but you were looking for an opportunity to do some stuff, you know, with other people. So to to come into that Fofop universe, I think that's a really cool extension of what that space is. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to hearing those episodes and it is a great relief. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and rather than think up an original concept for a podcast, I'm just going to steal someone else's. (laughs) That's fine,
1: mate. I stole it from our original podcast. (laughs) Uh,
0: And Two Guys One Cup, uh, Men's Footy is back and Two Guys One Cup is also back. Um, There's just a glut of Two Guys One Cup content online at the moment. So there was our season preview episode. That we are round one review episode. There is a My Club with uh, Charlie Pickering that has just gone up, and I believe there should be a Cunt Fiction. We finally got back to finishing our. Uh, Ben Cunnington, Nat Five, Fan Fiction, uh, and that should be in the feed as well. So if you love your footy uh, or you love your footy-adjacent podcast, then Two Guys, One Cup is a podcast for you. That's all at tofop.com. And while you're there, why not sign up to our mailing list so you can be first to know about new pods and announcements and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Anything else, Will?
1: Uh, Oh, I'm going to give Charlie a link to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for some cheap tickets for Patreon subscribers. So... If you're a Patreon subscriber, um, I'll give Charlie the details and he can put it on the Patreon page. But great. go on there if you want a 25% discounted ticket to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's only applies for a couple of nights, but um, I wanted to let Patreon subscribers know about that. So I'll give Charlie the details and he'll put it up on Patreon. Check it out. Sounds great. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.